2 in, uh, in these Bibles, and uh, Lizzie's going to come up and read it to us. And after Lizzie's read, it'll be over to Adam, wherever Adam's going. Oh, that's one. Psalm 96, which is on page 602. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. morning everyone thanks very much lizzie for reading psalm 96 Uh, why don't we pray together this morning father god thank you so much for bringing us here this morning thank you that we have this opportunity now to uh, listen to your word we pray lord that your spirit would be at work in this room we pray lord that we would be uh, encouraged that we would be challenged where we need to be challenged uh, that we would uh, see your glory Uh, in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please keep uh, Psalm 96 open in front of you. It'd be helpful to have it. Uh, Just scanning the room to see who is here this morning. Great. Okay, Psalm 96. Now, I want you to think this morning what your favourite type of music is. Okay, now I asked someone, I tested someone this morning when I got here, and uh, he was put on the spot, so he had to think for a second. So while I'm talking now, Think, what is your favourite type of music? There are actually 300 genres of music. Yeah, 300. Maybe it's a love song for you. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. (laughs) Maybe it's classical or choir music. Maybe it's the rock or the reggae you like. Maybe it's the hip-hop or the harp. What you uh, like in music... Uh, often says a lot about our character, doesn't it? There's something about music. I'm not a musician. 
so forgive me if I get this wrong, but there's something very meaningful or catchy about different songs, isn't there? It's the way the music flows and the notes are played that something lodges in your mind. And when you've been listening to your favourite music, how long then is that music still in your mind as you go about your day-to-day? Now, you may know that two weeks ago, the famous uh, singer Tina Turner passed away. Now, she had a really powerful voice, a stage presence that no one else could really match, and that earned her the title of Queen of Rock and Roll. I don't know if anyone ever saw her live here, but she had such an energy and such a passion for music, didn't she? And that passion and that energy kept her in the uh, charts for decades, and she won eight Grammy Awards. Now, just this week I was reading a a obituary about her, and it said, her songs were popular because they often told a story about her life experiences Through pain and joy, Tina Turner wrote herself into pop history again and again. And if you know anything about her life, you'll know that she had a lot of suffering and a lot of difficulty, and yet she was very popular in her music. Now, I put up there Spotify and Apple Music. I don't know if you use those apps at all, but uh, Apple Music claims to have 100 million songs uh, online for you to listen to. Spotify, slightly less, 40 million with 40,000 songs being added every day. Imagine that. I mean, that's more songs than you can listen to in a lifetime. And what about church? Well, it's been great to sing together this morning, hasn't it? When we're at church, we sing songs together, and they lift our spirits. Depending on what type of week you've had. If you've had a difficult week, they can lift your spirits with a whole range of emotions and passion. If you've had a week where you've struggled in sin, worship songs can remind us of those precious promises of Jesus and what he's done for us, the hope we have in Jesus. When we stand at the front here and we look out, uh, as Tim would have done this morning, leading the service, and you look at people's faces during the worship music, you see a whole range of different emotions, don't you? You know, Some people are moved to tears. Some people, a massive beaming smile on their faces. Some people in quiet reverence as that music soaks in. So music is very powerful. But what's that going to do with Psalm 96? Well, Psalm 96, as we'll see, is calling the whole world to sing and give rightful praise to God. Look at verse 1 to 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. What a great way to start a psalm. The context of this psalm was, it was written uh, when King David became, when David became king. And uh, it was written, and you can read this in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 16, when the Ark of the Covenant, a wooden chest covered in gold that contained the Ten Commandments, God's written law, and it represented his presence, was brought into the city of David. And there were celebrations and there was uh, mass excitement because God's presence was now with his people. And so that's the backdrop to this psalm being written. Now Psalm 96 has a lot to say back then to God's people, but equally it has as much to say to us in Worcester Park in 2023. We have been saved in order to tell the nations at least three things this psalm says. And you won't be surprised to know that they're my three points. So point number one, we are to declare God's glory. We are to declare God's glory. The psalmist says that everyone 
who knows God, has a song to sing to the Lord forever. Not just a one-off, but forever. Each word of our song should be from our own testimonies. Now, if you don't know what a testimony is, it's the story about how God has saved you, how you came to know Jesus. You see, the Bible is more than just individual books uh, with standalone writings. It is a book with a meta-narrative. Sorry about the big word. But meta-narrative basically means an overarching story. Everything in the Bible uh, is linked together, and it gives context and meaning and purpose to our lives. And so the psalmist knows that the content of our stories is that, is our testimonies. What will we sing to the Lord each day? We will sing about what he's done for us. This wonderful, amazing, extraordinary, exciting news. The psalmist says we're to sing our hearts out to God. We want to bless his name and tell everyone on earth what has happened to us. So they can go and tell everyone else what's happened to them. It's the best news in the world. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know many of you in here will know what I'm talking about. It's the story of how God has rescued us from a spiritual place of darkness and despair, corruption and selfish evil desires, and brought us into the kingdom of his son, brought us into the kingdom of God. So I said before that the Ark of the Covenant symbolised God's presence. And wherever the Ark went, God's presence went with his people. Now through Jesus, we, have, we are in God's presence now. Isn't that amazing? So every Christian has a song to sing about how God has rescued us, how he's opened our eyes, how before we live for ourselves, now we live for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember either that lightning bolt moment when you realised who Jesus was or a series of events that came together like a jigsaw puzzle where your eyes were opened and you saw Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Can you picture, can you remember, maybe shut your eyes and remember, that amazing love and joy you felt at that moment when you came to know Jesus? When the Holy Spirit started working in your heart? I'm hoping that everyone can remember that on their journey in life. Do you remember the circumstances leading up to you being saved? Was it a family member in particular who prompted you? who had a serious chat with you? Was it a friend who told you about Jesus? Was it a talk you heard in the church somewhere? And my third question to you is, how often do you remember what you've been saved from? How often do you remember what you've been saved from? Those three questions kind of structure the psalm. What is it? How did it happen? And we need to tell others. Now, sometimes we can make light of our testimonies. You say to someone, oh, what's your testimony? Uh, would you like to share your testimony, actually, at church on Sunday? And a lot of people, you know, sometimes say, actually, no, it's not that, it's not that interesting. Not that interesting? God has saved you from darkness to light. It is hugely significant, hugely important. Everyone who has been saved is precious in God's sight. He loves you so much that... It, that to save you, cost him his only son, Jesus Christ. How often do we think about that? How amazing is it that someone has died for you so you don't have to face God's judgment? 
The Bible says God is holy and unapproachable. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. I'm reading from the psalm here. People of earth are to tremble before him because of his holiness and his glory. How does that make you feel this morning? Sobering thoughts? Well, we have this amazing joy, don't we, of knowing Jesus, of bringing us from darkness to light. To know that the burden of guilt and shame has now been lifted off you. You don't have to have it anymore. To know you're no longer condemned, that we have a creator who loves us, who knows us by name. We are saved, we are redeemed. To know that our addictions and our sufferings, both mentally and physically, will one day end. And God has a plan for each of his children. We are in his hands and he will never leave us. That's his promise, isn't it? The relief and the joy of knowing Jesus should bring us joy, peace, hope, love and a satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus. This is God's glory. So firstly, my first point was to declare God's glory. This is what God's glory is. Our story of how we were saved. I'm just reading backwards. So firstly, we're to see, declare God's glory. Secondly, summon the nations to join in, verses 7 to 10. Uh, As God's chosen people, we've been given God's free gift of grace through Jesus to share this treasure with the rest of the world. This psalm is calling us to love the nations, to love people from different cultures and different backgrounds. However many years of life God gives us, he's given us an opportunity to tell as many people as we can about Jesus, about what he's done for us, about our stories. Now, If I said to you, right, you're Christian now, go outside in Worcester Park right now, tell everyone about Jesus, what would you say to me? Well, I imagine a lot of people would be quite scared. A moment ago, I heard this amazing uh, kind of wall of singing and praise about Jesus. Imagine we all just went outside straight away into Worcester Park and just spread out and told everyone about Jesus. Can you imagine that happening? Some people, yes, you can. Other people, I'll see you in in a little bit. Yeah, it's scary, isn't it, to go out and tell people about Jesus. But yet, the Bible calls us to do that. If we look at uh, Matthew's Gospel, as uh, Tim had on the board uh, earlier, uh, chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, there you go. Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we've got that promise that Jesus will never leave us. He is always with us. Now all we need to do is go. Right? It's hard, isn't it? It is hard. But then sometimes I think we make it difficult for ourselves, which I will talk about in a second. Now, it says, go and make disciples of all nations. So we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. To love the nations. Now, does that mean we should all quit our jobs and go abroad tomorrow? Well, for some people, God does call them to do that. And we've got our mission partners, haven't we? We've got Margot, Knight, Margot sorry, in Tanzania, Caleb and Tobias in Lesotho, or Janet Webb, who's just gone to Mitchell's Plain. 
For some people, the Lord calls them to go abroad and reach the nations. But not all of God's people are called to be goers. Some of us are called to be senders and support our missionaries with prayer, finance and resources. That is definitely true. But what does that mean if we're not involved? I think it means that we need to be careful we're doing our part in the Great Commission. Because too often, for those people who don't go, it can become the Great Omission. We don't tell people about Jesus because we think other people are doing it. When I was a young Christian, uh, we had a visiting speaker in Bournemouth uh, who came to the university. And he was uh, working in the mission field. And he was convinced that Jesus would return any day because, he said, he got us a big world map out, and he said, the gospel went out from Jerusalem by the disciples. And through history, it's gone west. And so it went to Africa, Europe, uh, across the Atlantic, into America, through the Pacific Ocean, through into Asia. And now it's almost back in Jerusalem. And when that happens, which, you know, is in a couple of years' time, Jesus will return. And he was convinced and excited, quite rightfully, that Jesus was just about to return back. And that was a common thought for years among Christians. Once the gospel is preached in every geographical nation, Jesus' commission will be complete. But when I was looking up uh, in more detail, Matthew 28, 19, I found this, which was quite interesting. Uh, The word nations is the Greek word ethne. It's where we get the modern word ethnic from. In Greek, this word always describes Gentile nations, the nations who don't know God. Jesus actually expresses the idea of the gospel needing to reach different customs, different cultures and civilizations. This means that the gospel is to be taken to people in every culture, every custom, every civilization, every race, every color, every ethnicity in the world. So imagine the translation was a little bit... uh, more detailed and jesus said these words go therefore and teach all ethnic groups every race every skin color and every nation with its different customs and culture ultimately taking the gospel to every people group that exists in the world so the gospel is not limited to political borders the gospel is for the entire human race all people groups need to be given the chance of hearing the good news about jesus don't they And there is work to be done. There are millions, as Tim was just telling us, of people who need to hear the gospel. So what happens to those people, or those of us who haven't uh, been called abroad, who haven't got the means to go abroad, who don't have the circumstances which lets them go abroad? Well, there's good news for you today. Because God is at work in history. And God has been bringing the nations of the world to our country. God has been moving people of different ethnicities, groups, cultures and customs to England. And where more do we see that than London? Just leave your front door and speak to your neighbours and you're likely to find a culture very different from your own. Uh, I asked someone in the afternoon congregation to do a quick survey this week in their road in Worcester Park of all the different uh, cultures Uh, and nations that exist in their road. So anyway, they've got a cul-de-sac with 21 houses. And as they went round and spoke to their neighbours, they've got two Sri Lankan families, 
one Ghanaian family, one Irish family, one Italian family, one Indian family, one Persian family, one Middle Eastern family, one New Zealander, and nine British families. Isn't that incredible? That's just one cul-de-sac in Worcester Park. So the nations are here. It's not just our neighbourhoods that you'll find different people as well. Try your workplace. Getting the train into London. In the high street coffee shops. In the parks. At the school gates. In the doctor's surgery. (coughs) Our mission as Christians is to be light in our communities. To take the gospel news to the people who've never heard it before. And there are loads of people who've never heard it before. Now we need to remember that our job is not to convince different people groups to change their culture and become like me. Or change their personalities to be more uh, acceptable to me. Our job is simply to believe and tell them the good news. Now I said before that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to tell people the gospel, don't we? Sometimes we think it has to be done in a certain way with these exact words and we act as if we've one chance to get this right. We act as if we've got a, a kind of truck that we need to reverse and then dump the gospel on someone and drive off. Now, from that, we may invite someone to church and quite naturally they say, no, uh, I don't want to come to church this week. And we can go away feeling crushed and feeling rejected. But we need to remember that they've only said no for that day or that event. It's like we, uh, if someone invites me to the pub, I'll probably say no, I don't want to go to the pub. You know, I hope then people don't go away and feel totally rejected. It's just I don't fancy going to the pub. And some people just don't fancy going to church that day. But that doesn't mean we reject them and walk off. Right, that's it, you're done. We need to be kind and compassionate like Jesus was. Your neighbours may like to come on another day, or they might like to come to another event, or when they've got to know you better. I mean, it can take years for some people to change, can't it? Years to build that friendship with somebody. Years to enable them to trust you, and we must remember that it's only God, through his spirit, that opens blind eyes to see who he is. No amount amount of uh, twisting their arm or uh, bombarding them will make them believe in Jesus. We need to remember our place and we need to remember what Jesus is doing through his spirit. Recently I completed a module on evangelism. It's kind of one of my end uh, theological studies before I move on. And one method of sharing uh, the love of Jesus with people really struck me. Three words. I just want to say there are lots of different ways to do evangelism. This is just one example. Three words, learn, love, lead. Okay, learn, love, lead. And if you spoke to me in the last couple of months, I've probably told you all about it. But our role is to be real with people and to be genuine. Not to be a weirdo, not to hide and uh, ambush them at certain points. We need to get to know our neighbours and our colleagues. So firstly, we need to learn about their lives, how they view the world. We need to uh, understand what their joys are in life, what their challenges are, what their struggles are. Uh, What are the highs and lows for them? How do they feel living in our community? Secondly, we need to love them as people with no hidden agenda, but to love them and see them as normal people that have been made like you in the image of God. I think from looking at this, 
The third thing, oh, sorry, the third thing is to lead them. Learn about them, love the person, and lead them to Jesus. If we know someone, and we make an effort with them, and we're not a weirdo, and we are friendly with them, I think they're in a much better place for us to lead them to Jesus, for us to speak into their lives about how Jesus satisfies their longings, how Jesus satisfies the areas where they're struggling in. As I said before, we've all got a story that we can share with other people. This is what God has done for me. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you what wonderful things God has done for me. Now, I don't know what your personality is like. You may be an extrovert and you love people. Or, be careful what I say here, or you could be an introvert like me and you love people, but sometimes you need to step away, have a break, and then re-engage. That's fine. God made us all differently. And each of us can use our personalities, our gifts that God has given us to reach different people. So rather than shun people from other cultures because they're different, we need to be brave enough to become friends with them, to step across the line, to serve them in love and demonstrate to them how being a Christian allows you to live each day with that eternal hope that we have in Jesus. So let me ask you some questions. Do the people on your road in Worcester Park, Sutton, New Malden uh, know you as a loving Christian individual or family? Do the people in your road know that you are a Christian? Do they know that your home is a place of warmth and safety when things in life are difficult? Is your house or where flat you live in, is that the place where people can come together to sort out their disagreements? So like I said, for some of us it will mean stepping outside of our comfort zones, talking to people, taking an interest in people, listening to people. <coughs> We can still feel uh, fearful or awkward. I mean, that happens for all of us, I think. But in that moment, we need to rely on the Spirit's help to enable us to speak, to enable us to be bold. Remembering that God is for us and he will never leave us and he's with us in those moments. We must be praying for our neighbours to know Jesus, but also praying for ongoing opportunities to speak to them. I don't know how many of you have done that. I can't do a show of hands, but how many people have prayed for an opportunity to speak to someone and then God has just opened that door? The opposition that was there has just melted away, supernaturally melted away, and you've been able to speak to them. We have a world that is lost and we need to reach people with the good news of Jesus. Uh, A few, uh, well... A couple of weeks ago, I had to get a a taxi from Rill in North Wales to Chester because the trains were on strike. And uh, I'd just come back from a Christian conference and I was getting this train and I thought, uh, there's no train, so I thought, I've got to get a taxi. Now, in that moment, I've got an opportunity for an hour and a half to speak to whoever is driving that taxi about Jesus. And to be honest, I was tired. I was thinking, I just want to get home. I just want to get home. But uh, as we drove down the road, uh, the taxi driver said to me, where have you been? I was, well, <laughs> funny you should say that. I've been at a Christian conference. Oh, you're Christian. Uh, 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 and he said, uh, I've read the Bible, I've read the Quran, and I've read uh, another book at Open University. So he said, uh, you know, I know all about these books. Uh, and uh, so then I said to him, well, have you got a faith? That's my opening question. Have you got a faith? And he said, oh, yeah, I've got a faith. And then he spent the next... 
30 minutes, he's a really nice guy, but next 30 minutes telling me about his conspiracy theories about Prince William. <laughs> and I just, you know, a genuinely nice guy, well-intentioned, my heart broke because I thought, this guy is lost. This guy's lost and he needs help. Uh, and so I was <laughs> praying in the back of the taxi. Uh, you know, but God, God, God is amazing. God opened up that opportunity for me to chat to him about Jesus and tell him the good news. You know, and then I leave him with that. And uh, I said to him, uh, I'm moving to Caution. Here's my details. If you want to chat ever, we leave the door open. You want to chat, come and chat to me anytime. But uh, it's amazing what, what God does in your situation, isn't it? I want to say that we need to tell uh, our colleagues, our neighbours about Jesus. But uh, I know that some people in this room have difficult neighbours. And uh, with the best will in the world, we want to tell people about Jesus, but we have hostility. And uh, it can be very intimidating. So in that situation, we need to give everything to God. We need to pray to God. We need to ask for his help and leave it with God to do. So... Uh, We see the psalmist is calling us to, one, declare God's glory, two, summon the nations to join in the praise of God, and thirdly, warn them of judgment. We don't just declare God's glory to the nations, we don't just summon them to join us in ascribing glory to him, as the psalm says, but we need to warn them that the reason that we must do this is that they're depending on false gods, and judgment is coming on the nations, that's what the psalm says towards the end. So verses 10 to 14. Often we'll encounter people of different religions and faiths uh, in our community. And at that point, you may wrongly assume, you know, that person will never be interested in Jesus. That person never wants to know about Jesus because they've got their own God, small g. Uh, And we can often think that about friends and family, can't we? They're never going to believe. I've tried to tell them before, but they just are hardened of heart. But I think that was wrong thinking. Because you imagine if someone had that attitude towards us, Adam's never going to believe. Well, then I probably wouldn't have heard the good news. The Bible says that God has created everyone in his image and with a knowledge of who he is through the wonders of creation, amongst other things. So there's no excuse for people saying they don't know God. And yet we need to have compassion and we need to have love for them. And so we're to treat everyone as an individual, whether they belong to another religion or culture or background. We need to think everyone has a right to hear this gospel rescue uh, message. And we shouldn't be the ones to create any kind of barriers to that happening. Verse 10 says, the Lord reigns over the earth. He established and created the earth and will never be moved away from his perfect, secure moral principles. God's character is unchanging and he is coming to judge the nations with his character. And we are to warn people in love that there are many worthless idols and false gods out there. Things people rely on to give them the satisfaction that actually they can never get. Now in verse 5, I'm just jumping back a little bit, the Hebrew words that the psalmist uses for gods has a small g and is Elohim. And the word for worthless idols is Elohim, providing a play on words. So actually the psalmist is saying about these false gods, these mighty beings are mighty useless. As we get towards the end of the psalm, it concludes with the imagery of the coming of the Lord to judge. And all creation is again called to rejoice and worship the Lord who is coming. 
Look at the words. The heavens, the earth, the sea, and the fields, with all their inhabitants, and the trees of the forest will celebrate. Be glad, rejoice, roar, exult, sing for joy. The psalmist is looking forward with the whole of creation to Jesus coming again, just as he promised he would. And the comfort here is, it's not a matter of when he will come, but an absolute certainty he will come again. That should fill our hearts with joy. When we uh, think about talking to people about hell and judgment, it's not a comfortable thing to do. It's not a comfortable thing to do, but it's the truth. And uh, we wouldn't be very loving if we didn't tell people the truth about what's going to happen. In the Old Testament, people uh, thought about Judgment Day as a time of rejoicing because they knew that that was the time God was going to right every wrong in the world. He was going to heal the world. He was going to put an end to all the injustice. And we can do the same. For all those who trust in Jesus, there is no fear that this is of this coming judgment. For all those who trust in Jesus, we can know that our judgment day was moved from the future to the past. So, in summary, we're to declare God's glory, we're to summon the nations to join in, wherever they are. We're to warn them of judgment and share God's rescue plan with them. Isn't that worth singing about? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your words, which is precious and glorious in our sight. Father, we've covered so much today, and there is so much more to discover about you. Uh, We thank you for the time that you've given us on this earth. We pray, Lord, that we would be filled with your spirit so that we can go out and tell our community this amazing rescue plan that you've come up with. Father, please uh, help us this week as we uh, go out and think about these things. Uh, We pray that you would create opportunities for us to share what you have done for us. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much, Adam. Well, we are going to sing. As um, Adam's exhorted us, as God's word has exhorted us, we're going to sing of the splendor of our God. And we're